0: For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock, you are my glory, you are the lifter of my Hi and welcome to the Rock Podcast. Sometimes it's necessary to wake a person from their spiritual slumber with a divine jolt of adversity. Because the Lord loves us, sometimes He disciplines us to keep us on the straight and narrow, just like He did with King Hezekiah here in 2 Kings chapter 20. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled God's Wake Up Call. Can you imagine God telling you exactly how many years you have left to live? Well, that happens tonight with King Hezekiah uh, here in chapter 20 of 2 Kings. Now, King Hezekiah, as we've been seeing, king of Judah in the south is a great man of God. That's why we're still talking about him uh, five chapters later. So if you're a note taker, Uh, His story, Hezekiah's story, is from 2 Kings chapter 16 through 20, and uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 28 to 32, and also in Isaiah chapter 36 through chapter 39. And tonight's uh, incident is the parallel companion text is in Isaiah 38, so note takers, there you go. Now, King Hezekiah is a faithful guy. He, he had a wicked father, a king before him, uh, proving that our family of origin doesn't define who we are necessarily. And um, uh, he is not without his flaws, even though he's a very uh, faithful king, as we have seen and we're going to see again uh, this evening. He began his reign at 25 years old. Can you imagine? And he reigned in Judah for 29 years. Here's the summary statement of his life uh, that we saw back in chapter 18. Uh, Hezekiah was loyal to the Lord and did not stop following him. He obeyed the commands of the Lord uh, that that Moses had given. And the Lord was with Hezekiah so that he had success in everything he did. What I like about that summary statement is is that he, he gets an A But it didn't turn in a perfect paper. So how many of you are glad to know that you can get an A and not have to be perfect? Amen. And so uh, God just looks at the bent of the life, the the quality of the faith in the heart. He knows our hearts and uh, he judges us by the quality of faith and character in these issues. Now, for the context for tonight's uh, incident, that's very interesting. Now, you'll recall that last week in chapters 18 and 19, we covered two chapters in a dramatic account where uh, the world superpower of Assyria was just kind of coming through, steamrolling over nation after nation and got down to uh, Israel and took away the whole northern kingdom, and then was knocking on uh, Judah's door. And in fact, came in and took fortified cities in Judah, and then came to the last surviving city, which was Jerusalem. And uh, Jerusalem had a wall about it, and so there were 200,000 of Assyria's finest, parked outside uh, with, in threat- with threatening intimidations and a letter that said, we're going to wipe you off the face of the earth, which people are still seeing even today, <laughs> and uh, uh, they haven't had uh, too much success in that, uh, nor will they, Amen. All right, more about that later, but I can't get distracted here. So led by, here they were surrounded, and uh, here's the context. Led by King Hezekiah, they started to fast and to pray and seek the Lord. And Isaiah, Isaiah is around at this time, and Isaiah gives the word, and he says, I'm going to take care of this guy. I'm going to send this blasphemer home. And on a one-way ticket and where he'll be cut down by his own sons, and he was, we saw that. And also that God would take care of the Assyrian army that had uh, parked itself outside the walls of the city. And we read last time that the residents of Jerusalem woke up after a night of prayer and fasting. And true to Isaiah's word, the, an angel from God came down and it said, there they were a pile of 185,000 corpses. Uh, The angel just came out and meted out God's judgment, proving, once again, Proverbs 21 and verse 30, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Now, I mentioned last week uh, that this was a prophetic picture of Armageddon. Uh, And Armageddon, of course, is in Revelation and it talks about really the kings of the earth and the nations all in alignment with the Antichrist uh, who gather together for their final assault on Israel. And I just wanted just just to bring that up once again before we dive into this new incident. Um, because in light of today is Purim, Purim in Hebrew, and Purim uh, celebrates, of course, the the victory that Queen Esther uh, won through prayer and fasting when when evil Haman uh, devised the plan through diabolical, satanic forces to wipe out the Jews all over the earth, and once again God came to their rescue, <clears throat> and. Uh, uh, they have a celebration, like most Jewish holidays. It's all about, they tried to kill us, they didn't. Let's eat. And <laughs> Benjamin Netanyahu comes all the way from Israel. I, I mean, I get goosebumps because we're, we're living this out before us. President, Prime Minister of Israel comes to America yesterday begging the United States Please help us. There's a nation that is threatening to wipe us off the face of the earth. We're talking about these very things in the Bible. But the Bible predicts that in the last seven years, when the church has been removed, that God is dealing with Israel and they will surround once again in a place called Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo, and they will gather together there. And God is going to come down just as he did in these chapters. There are just many shadows and prophetic uh, foreshadowing of that great day to come. Now, I just threw that. And if you think, by the way, that 185,000 soldiers all piled up is something else. wait till You have not seen anything yet. And uh, fortunately for the church... She will be out of harm's way, and we'll have box row seats up there. It'll be very nice to see from afar. Amen. <laughs> well, if you read the devastation in Revelation, then you will really appreciate that. Now, in chapter 20, I couldn't resist this Purim. He was here yesterday. You know, it's, all, it's right there. Uh, okay, so here in chapter 20... Now, sometime during this whole Assyrian invasion uh, that we talked about last week, uh, where they all ended up dead the next morning, uh, God needed to deal with King Hezekiah in a deep and profound way. And here's what happened. Verse one. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Now, why don't we pause there? Uh, We're going to have, number one, if you're taking notes, uh, a wake-up call. A wake-up call. (laughs) Now, if you want to find out what a wake-up call means, I Googled it and here's what it says. Something that serves to uh, alert a person to a problem, danger, or need, and then uh, really often a fresh sense of one's mortality or vulnerable vulnerability to loss is what's called for. So apparently this incident happened before Assyria surrounded the walls of Jerusalem, and the writer just wanted to talk about the invasion in a block, and then uh, the sickness and the healing in a block. And so we have that block before. So when the text says, during those days, we're talking about the, the Assyrian invasion that we talked about uh, last week. Now, Hezekiah got really, really sick during those days, and he got some really, really bad news. Now, it's generally assumed that the king, even though he's basically a faithful uh, man of God, was kind of falling asleep spiritually. Uh, God needed to humble him. He, God saw what was coming. This Assyrian madman with his army that was really dominating the entire world. I mean, the, the entire area of Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Jordan, Saudi Arabia was all under Assyrian control. The Lord needed a man who would depend on him wouldn't be um, wouldn't have uh, would, would have an undivided heart who would look to God above all else and so he needed to have him prepared not asleep at the wheel and so God will do things like this to prepare a man he sees uh, listen you're depending on Egypt and you're depending on this and that and the other thing and sometimes uh, he needs to come in and give us a wake up call like he did to Hezekiah. Now, what was Hezekiah's problem? Well, Hezekiah, uh, there was a lot of prosperity before Assyria came in. Um, Under his godly grandfather, Jotham, and his great-grandfather, who was also godly, King Uzziah, um, they were godly and wise, and God prospered Judah, just like the days of David and Solomon So commentators say that this prosperity really kind of lulled Hezekiah into a false sense of self-reliance because when you've got money, the guy's 39, by the way. He's 39, he's got money, he's the king. God's given him a lot of success and so he's kind of puffed up and and self-confident and self-reliant and that's a pitfall of blessing. I mean, when everything's going good, you know, what's your prayer life really like? When everything's all messed up and you're hurting, you're on your knees more and you're in the word more. Usually, nine times out of ten, the pitfall of blessing. So money in the bank, youth and vigor and health, the army at your beck and call, strong ally with Egypt. This guy said, I've got the world by the tail. And so... You know, there's something to be said for the wisdom that appears in Proverbs 30 that says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Proverbs 30. Now, that's the most unpopular prayer in the Bible. I mean, it's not a prayer that we often want to pray, right? Because, uh, you know... The prayer of what was that prayer of Jabez back in the 90s or the 80s or whenever it was or the ones or the twos or the tens. The prayer of Jabez was a prayer that somebody came up with and said, you need to pray Jabez's prayer over and over again, 30 times a day that God will increase and increase. And it caught on fire and all Christians love to pray the prayer of Jabez. But what about this prayer? How about the Lord's Prayer? How about the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. That's the same kind of thing here. And so poor Hezekiah, he's not up for what's coming. And God, in his his redemptive mercy, is going to send this guy a little slap-slap upside of the face of his soul to get his attention. Man, Alana's riding on the line here. You're not paying attention. You're asleep at the wheel. A lot of people's lives uh, are, are, are up for grabs there. And so Hezekiah is looking to other sources of strength. And so nothing, uh, if ever there was a one-liner perfectly designed to burst any illusions of grandeur, it's this. Get your life in order because you're going to die and you're not going to recover. Thus says the God who made you. Wow, Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? Well, we're going to see what happens there. You know, Hebrews 12 says, whom the Lord loves, the Lord disciplines. Um, Don't lose heart when he comes into your life. But not every tragedy that comes into our life is a wake-up call. Only the Holy Spirit in your own heart knows when God's saying, do I have your attention? Only you know that. Because a lot of stuff happens Because we live in a fallen world. It's not necessarily God. God always wants to teach us something. But it's not necessarily one of these deals with. uh, When God is really wanting to get this guy's attention. Now we're only going to make it down to verse 11. So don't panic and think I'm still hanging out in verse 1 and 2 here. But uh, listen. Let me give you some advice. Try to live in such a way alert and in the light, walking with God to make wake-up calls unnecessary. Amen? Amen? The the fewer motivations that I give God to have to nudge me awake by a circumstance in life, the better. Don't you think? Amen? All right, moving on. We're not getting very far, two and three, so don't get your hopes up too fast, all right? Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and praised the Lord, Lord, remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully. You even said in chapter 18 I was faithful, oh, sorry, and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. Well, that's just a summation because in Isaiah 38 and other places, we do see exactly what's going on in this guy's heart. And it's pretty deep and it's pretty profound. So if you're taking notes, number one, a wake-up call. Number two, a game-changing response now, a game-changing response. So he's going to respond apparently in the right way because of what's coming up as we see So God's got Hezekiah's attention now. A God-allowed, one writer put it this way, a God-allowed tragedy can teach more and get bigger results in five minutes than 50 years of mediocre Christian living. So time for some solitary confinement. I love how he turns his face away from Isaiah, away from the prophet, away from whoever's speaking the truth and going exactly to the source to the Lord. He turns his face, time for some uh, alone time with God. And that's really what hardship does for us. It kind of points us away from our sources of inspiration and strength in this life and to the Lord. And you know when it's really touching your heart is how you seek the Lord and look only uh, to him. You know, somebody will say, it got so bad that we just had to pray, you know? I mean, <laughs> so it's an effective wake-up call, and uh, he turns his soul attention to God. Uh, now, his prayer sounds kind of strange in verse 3, don't you think? It, it, it's really Old Testament-esque uh, to pray a prayer like that. It's not a Christian prayer at all. He's he's kind of justifying himself and kind of looking to his own merit. It sounds Almost ungodly, he's saying, Lord, I've been such a good boy. Come on, God. I mean, I don't deserve this. I've done good deeds. I've been loyal. But under the, the Old Testament economy, he really is making a valid point. Because in the Old Testament, God makes it really simple. Do good and be blessed. Do bad and pay the consequences. They don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They don't have the fullness of Christ. They don't have the fullness of God's revelation. They don't have the fullness of the gospel. And so back in the Old Testament, he basically boils it down to uh, uh, obedience. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Obey me and be blessed. Disobey me. And there'll be curses. That's just how it is. Now, it is kind of true still that when we do good, we generally are better off than when we do bad. But in the New Testament, it's a little bit more complicated, isn't it? Because God uses adversity to shape us, to grow our character. Uh, Another unpopular scripture is James 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. Count it all joy. Brothers and sisters, when you fall into troubles of many kind because you know that the testing of your faith is producing something good, character, perseverance, and cooperate with it so that you'll be complete and not lacking anything. It's like a conspiracy because Peter agrees with him and James and and Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. He says, we're not just happy when when things are going well, but we rejoice in our suffering as well. And so uh, this is not a real New Testament prayer because we pray in the name of Jesus, not on our own merits, right? And so that's what's going on there. And now in verse four, there's uh, bitter tears. That's another Old Testament insight. Uh, Their understanding of heaven And glory in the afterlife was very limited. Uh, There's only a few verses that really shine uh, forth what the truth is about the, well, it says in 2 Timothy in the New Testament, chapter one and verse 10, Jesus brings life and immortality to light in the gospel. You see, so there's bitter tears. You're gonna, man, you're you're gonna die. You're gonna go, go to heaven. His concept is not, oh, you know, a joy down deep, right? I I don't think any Christian should really be this devastated when we find out it's time for us to go to the place we're always talking about. We're always talking about heaven, and that's the goal of all of our lives. And then when it's time to go, nobody wants to go. Everybody's upset, you know? Oh, no, it's the end of the world because God is saying, hey, now it's time to come to heaven. You know, it's just amazing. I mean, I'm like that too. I mean, Paul the apostle, Paul the apostle, so godly. He says, "You know what, Philippians?" He says, "Yeah, what shall I choose?" You know, I know that I, I I could die here. He says, "I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to to depart and be with Christ, which is so much better." He's saying, "I'm torn." in this persecution. I may get martyred. I don't know which is better. Right now, I'm kind of like, hey, that's exciting to me. You know? Well, not to us. (laughs) We want to hang around as long as humanly possible. Listen, somebody in Japan, um, Okawa-san, she just had her 117th birthday today, and here's what she said. She said, my life has seemed rather short. She's 117. She's the oldest living person in the world. It's still, you want to live. She wakes up in the morning. She does not want to hear. Listen, you only have 10 more years to live. She doesn't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. Neither does anybody. Where uh, I was sitting on the, in the plane, on the runway, getting ready to take off from Dubai, United Arab Emirates for San Francisco and I said to the Lord as I like to pray before during and after plane rides I said Lord just take me home to San Francisco (laughs) and I said that because I I I laughed out loud and, you know, I know that he knows my heart, what I really meant, but I just thought just in case an angel was listening and then could take that and misconstrue the whole thing, you know, (laughs) Lord, he's praying, just take him home, you know, and when you're flying on one of those planes, that could be easily arranged, you know, so, okay, let's continue on, all right, no Christian, should be that devastated to find out that it's time to enter eternal glory. Amen. All right? Verses four through seven. Now, before Isaiah had left the middle of the court, so he's, he's praying and he's getting right and God is working and he's weeping and all of this. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, so Isaiah drops the bomb and he's leaving now. The word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. This is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I'll heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David, David who is his ancestor who lived 300 years before. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. Poultice is like a macerated, gooey, medicinal plaster. plaster. (laughs) They did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. Okay, we can keep that up there. All right, so number three, a gracious reprieve. Note takers, a gracious reprieve. God grants his request. Now, our response in a God-generated crisis makes a difference in the way the story comes out. I want to say that one more time because we get into this thing where we just get fatalistic about, especially our mistakes. Our response in a God-centered crisis makes a difference in the way the story turns out. Never underestimate the power of a contrite heart to reverse the sad effects of disobedience. I hear God saying, should there be no response here? (laughs) You're pretty much a dead man walking. But I don't don't get through to you. if There's no change. If you don't cooperate with me, it's over. I'm putting you on the shelf. I can't use you. I got to pull in another guy to save the day. It's too much riding uh, uh, here for me to play around with you. So you're sick. You know that you're gonna die now. Uh, response. <laughs> and he turns and faces God, and they do business. And before he's even out of the out of the courtyard, the Holy Spirit taps Isaiah on the shoulder of his soul and says, Psst, "Isaiah, go back in there and tell that guy some good." News. I love that. 15 extra years, verse 5. 15 extra years. Jonah, chapter 3, tells the Ninevites, 40 days, Nineveh is overturned by the power of God. They believed him. First of all, somebody saw him come out of a whale (laughs) on the beach. And this got around, you know, how people talk. <laughs> I mean, he's bleached out. His hair is all gone. Every, I mean, it's just awful. And uh, they believe. He's anointed. He's preaching. They believe. And, and they repent. And, and he says, the king says, listen, all of us, put on that burlap. Nobody eat or drink. Don't even feed your animals. Perhaps God will have compassion on us sinners. And God says, Wow, check these folks out. And he relents. He changes his mind. Why? Because our response to a God breathed crisis can turn the whole thing around. You know, you don't have to just think, Well, what's done is done. It's not done. He's waiting. He's waiting. There's a youth pastor, I know this story. Uh, from 25 years ago, fell into immorality, and uh, instead of firing him on the spot, the the senior pastor took him in the office. And here's how I heard the story: that the senior pastor told this young man, "How do you want this story to go from here? How do you want this story to end?" And he let the guy talk. And the guy talked and he said, this is what I would want the story to go this way. And he said, let's do that. Let's do that. I mean, the guy was just dreaming and saying, you know, I'd get counseling and, and my marriage would be restored and I would... I would have accountability and I would do this and he's he's saying and and, and I would retain my job and I would, and, and and the guy the pastor was feeling the Lord work and 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 the pastor said so be it let's make let's let's write this story out because God is willing God is willing to forgive God is willing to reconcile. God is for you. Who could be against you? I mean, there, this is a situation, a one thing, you know, and I don't have all the details for you, but I'm telling you the point of the story is you have power when God is speaking to you through circumstances of life to change the course of your destiny by simple response and cooperation with God to say, God, I hear you. I, I've been slow to hear you. I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. And you can watch him turn the tide and change things. Amen? Amen. Notice how God heals him. How? In keeping with medical standards of the day, he, they come, he comes up with the medicine and he applies the medicine. He could have just said, just tell the guy I just healed it." But, he, but he's going to say, I want you to do what the, the pharmacist has prepared there, and I'm going to bless that. I agree with David Guzik, who is the pastor of Santa Barbara Calvary Chapel, when he said, apart from an unusual direction from God, medical treatment should never be rejected in the name of faith. Who do you think gave us the technology who do you think is, is for mankind being healed? God has given us tools. And, and that is That is between your heart and God. But I'm telling you as my advice and from the scriptures that we ought to have faith in God and also how he has brought means to heal us. Amen. Listen, I was given 30% chance to live 12 years ago. UCSF told me you have 30% odds of surviving this lymphoma that has resisted chemotherapy and radiation. We want you to have a bone marrow transplant and be in the hospital for 63 days at UCSF. God healed me. I know. God gave me a word. I knew I was going to be healed, but... I needed to go through that program. I needed a bone marrow transplant, and I got one 12 years ago. It's okay to let God use the lawyer, use the doctor, use the psychologist, because it's not them who's ultimately either making or breaking it. Unless, what does it say? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. You need the builder. You need the guard. But you need the blessing of God on those things. That's what we look to. The doctors didn't heal me so much as God blessed that procedure to be successful in this case. And I give God the glory for healing me. Uh, Let's finish up, 8 through 11. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? Isaiah answered, this is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he promised. you got an option. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps? or shall it go back 10 steps? Well, it's simple matter for the shadow to go forward (laughs) 10 steps. Is it really? Wow, says Hezekiah. Rather, have it go back 10 steps. Then the prophet Isaiah called upon the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back the 10 steps that had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. That word can also mean dial. All right, so it's a sundial or he's using his steps as a sundial, something like that is going on. The number one was a wake-up call. Number two was a game-changing response. Number three, a gracious reprieve. And now lastly, number four, a sign given. Now, my initial reaction when I first read this as a young Christian was, what? He just prophesied first person, Isaiah, the prophet, First person, the Lord speaking first person to him. I will do this. I will do this. And on the third day, you're gonna go in the temple and everything's gonna be cool. You know, worship God at church and all your friends are gonna be around. It's gonna be wonderful. And then he says, uh, "Can I have a sign that this is gonna happen?" I'm like, "Dude, you are pushing your luck." Jesse, he just gave you 15 extra years, and now you're gonna. I, I just, uh, I just wrote down here Shark Tank, because. <laughs> You know sometimes when they're out there standing in front of the, uh, the sharks, right? Uh, one guy will say, "Hey, I'll give you $750,000 uh, for whatever, right? That's a lot of money." And the guy's standing there and he starts talking. Well, And and the guy goes, "You know what? I'm taking that off the table." Done. $750,000 gone. That's what it felt like when I read that was like, what, dude, the, the Lord just spoke to you through Isaiah and now you want this, this sign. What's the sign It's going to happen? Wow. You know, I'm, I'm just glad that my initial reaction was not the Lord's. Like I could just hear the Lord say, you know what, Hezekiah, I think I'm going to rescind the whole offer. All right, so here's what one writer said. God seems to make a distinction between a faith-filled request for clarity and assurance versus a request born of unbelief and mistrust that is just a waste of everybody's time. Luke chapter 1, Gabriel is sent to two people to talk about two miraculous births. Mary, about Jesus, and John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. And here's what Mary says. How can this be? I'm a virgin. Answer, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary. The power of the Almighty will rest upon you. You're going to have a son. you am going to give him this name. You know the story. Jesus, says, oh, okay. May it be done to me according to your word. Zechariah. Zechariah says, To the angel. The angel says to him, he says, hey, are you going to have a son? The Lord has heard Elizabeth's prayers, your prayers. Congratulations, Papa. And he goes, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I could just see the angel go, no, really? (laughs) Verse 19. The angel answered that and says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. What's the difference? Oh, there is a difference. And God can see the heart. One just wanted clarity, a little encouragement. Wow, I mean, how I'm not doubting. No, she didn't even have to say I'm not doubting because God knows the heart. It's okay in matters of great importance for us to ask for a sign of clarity. If you're talking about who you're going to marry, you know, you're talking about a lot of money, you're talking about a life-changing decision, it's okay in faith to say, God, hey, I I need some help here. And God loves to confirm. I mean, he really does. And so let's get to the miracle here. Verses 8 through 11. One of the more extravagant miracles in the Bible. One of the ones I really love. Uh, So Isaiah uh, gives him an option. All right. Do you want the the sundial to be fast forwarded 10 steps, 10 hours? Or do you want it to, to go backwards? So what I have down here, just, I have a little smiley face because I think it's hilarious, but he says, well, it's a simple matter to speed the shadow forward 10 steps. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's a simple matter? Here's what he means. He means, well, you know, if, if you're asking me to move in the shadow this way, well, that's the natural way, so, you know, it would be harder And more of a miracle if it actually went against nature. So I'm going to choose the against nature deal. Uh, So the shadow went back. The staircase. Now, what's happening there? I don't know. Do you? I have not a clue. So let's move on. No, just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Here's what I think happened. I think the shadow... Moved backwards. And here, here's what this commentator, Knapp, he said it better than me. K-N-A-P-P. It was a miracle no matter how it was accomplished. God could have reversed the revolution of the earth had he seemed fit to do so. It would not be the first time God intervened with the orbits of things celestial. Uh, For example, the sun stands still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself of its enemy. Joshua chapter 10, verse 13. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed uh, going down about a full day. Joshua 10. Now, uh, these are miracles. He goes on to say, I'm going to finish the quote. A clockmaker who cannot turn the hands of his own workmanship backward is not an accomplished craftsman or the Lord could have simply played with the refraction dynamics of light. However he did it, Hezekiah's heart was encouraged, then within three days he was in the temple praising God. You know, I really don't have a problem with God actually spinning the earth in a different direction or whatever has to happen to, to, to make that shadow go backwards. He's the one who created The stars in the first place. Why are we so stumbled by things when when all of us are fine with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know what that looks like? Have you been to a planetarium? He just spoke and that happened? It's still unrolling, some people say. So we have a problem when, when, when there's just 10 degrees of something, I don't know why we get so flipped out about, Jesus is walking on the water. That's a reversal of some natural principles there, right? <laughs> but you don't seem to have a problem with that. But we have a problem, oh, because it's bigger. You know, it's bigger. It's a planet. It's not just walking on water. Well... <laughs> How about taking a few little sardines and a few little Hawaiian buns and turning them into a 10,000-fold lunch for people? You don't have a problem with that? No, everything's cool, except, you know, the whale. Oh, how could that happen? The same way everything else happened. There are miracles for crying out loud, people. Amen? Amen. All right, sheesh. Jesus gets his own star followed from Persia leading the wise men. You have no problem with that at Christmas time. Oh, they followed the star. I have no problem with that. You're singing, We Three Kings, you sing it and there goes the star. Not a problem, but anything else. It's like, Oh, no, Come on. Don't get me started. It's too late. I'm already going to show you some. Put the, yeah, the next one about all the stars. All the stars in the sky will be dissolved. How about that one? And the heavens rolled up like a piece of paper. And all the starry hosts will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. This is about Armageddon. Immediately Jesus, the Old Testament Jesus, Immediately after the stress of those days, tribulation, great tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. New Testament, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Things are not going to get better Things are going to get worse. We're going to be taken out of the way and then all hell is going to break loose. Revelation 6.14, the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up just like they're all saying and every mountain and island will be removed from the from place. So this miracle, a little shadow, a little revolution, a little shifting of one's axis of a planet it's not a big deal in light of things to come. And remember how Second Peter uh, tells us to take the display of God's power. Uh, since everything, I have that scripture. Second Peter will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people ought you to be? Let to be holy, live godly lives. Look forward to this day and cooperate with its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth. And guess who's going to speak that into existence? You can't have problems with little things like that. When he's going to speak a whole new galaxy into being and a new planet for us to romp around on. The home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Well, let me just close up this incident with words from Hezekiah recorded in Isaiah 38 about this whole ordeal. I think they're very telling. So after he's healed, he writes a song. And here are the words. In the prime of my life must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years. I said, I, I will not again see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. no longer will I look on mankind or be with those who now dwell in this world. My eyes grew weak and it talks about, I've condensed it, it talks about crying and moaning and tears and weeping. I looked to the heavens. I'm troubled, O oh Lord come to my aid but what can I say he has spoken to me and he himself has done this I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul Lord by such things men live and my spirit (laughs) that's an interesting way to divide that Uh, my spirit (laughs) finds life in them too you restored me to health and let me live. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. You see, when God is working things that we don't understand. And they come at us and they take us apart. He's saying, I'm taking you apart for good. Cooperate with me. Let's rebuild. Let's reconcile. Let's clean things out. Let's get you on the straight and narrow path again because I have plans for good, not to harm you, to give you a hope in a future. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We love you. He's are just so mystified at the way you love us and the way you can cause all things to work together for our good because we love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you for having mercy on us all, Lord. And thank you for the lessons that we've learned tonight. Speak to us, Lord, as we draw close to worship you, even now, as we reflect. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to the Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page.